viewers of Digital Movement 22. Uh, welcome to another episode of our uh, series that is Women in Design. So today we are welcoming a very esteemed guest who is known for her commendable contributions in the architectural society. So please welcome Tanya Khanna, an Indian architect and the founder of Epistle Communications, which has made her a pioneer in the field of architecture. So Epistle is the first and largest communication consultancy for architects and designers in South Asia, and it takes pride in providing additional editorial, strategic, and communication marketing PR services within the domains of art, architecture, and design. So having worked and studied in the UK, Tanya Khanna began her design career as an architectural journalist in India. She then founded Epistle, which recently completed 10 years in the industry. So congratulations to you on that occasion, ma'am. And on that note, so I'd like to ask you, as a company that has worked on numerous projects, how would you describe the growth and progression of Epistle communication in terms of your vision with which you set out 10 years ago? So, to be uh, firstly, thank you for having me over as a part of this series. Uh, okay. I, I think I, I, I think it's a great effort to try and uh, you know in, just encourage a dialogue in design. Uh, you know, honestly, when I set out to start Epistle, there was no real plan. The goal was not to be where we are. I had no intent of starting a a large business or, uh, you know, trying to achieve. I, I think the real concern that I had was uh, that in India, particularly, there was a genuine gap in uh, uh, what architects uh, design their sort of buildings to be. Any designer, actually, not just architects. It was interior designers, product brands. Uh, as designers, traditionally in the Indian design education, we are not taught to communicate our work using anything but visuals. So traditionally, we all have used images, drawings, 3Ds, et cetera, et cetera, to communicate our design intent. And uh, I, I genuinely felt that there was a gap there because in public domain, discourse in design and architecture includes words equally. So the goal was to essentially just help architects and designers in curating their content. That's really what I had set out to do. And uh, everything that happened was just a byproduct of content, really. So Episode was founded as a content-driven consultancy uh, that, would, that would help uh, anybody in the real estate and design domain uh, document their work, curate it, and package it in a way that it would become more accessible to the outside world. Typically, architects and designers are used to talking in a language that non-architects, non-designers do not understand. So the goal was to really change that. Uh, I didn't even think we'd reach five years, forget 10 years when I started. So it's been a great journey. And uh, I think every day is a new day. And uh, I, I enjoy that journey. So I get where you're coming from, because even like as an architect who's recently starting out, I feel like as if even during our college years, we're usually taught how to make a design rather than, you know, how to sell a design. Or it's like there's no, there's literally you feel that big bridge in the middle when you actually transition from college life to the job life. You feel like there's a huge difference, like. There's people over here who's selling design. Over there, you were just making design. So I actually get where you 
you know where the whole idea of epistolary communication is coming into so epistolary communication like how you've explained it's into many specializations you know like marketing design and content creation so would you mind sharing the strategies that are adopted for a smooth workflow and how is it actually changed during the work from home phase and the two completely different questions so i'll take the first one uh, first okay uh, yeah. uh so we like i said we are a content driven consultancy in fact over 10 years the one thing that has changed is we are just episode and we are a communications consultancy and uh we we when we come on board with a designer or a product brand we essentially understand first who they are what is it that they do uh what distinguishes them from other similar brands and what is it that is unique about them as a brand uh we then sort of articulate and go through that journey with them and document their work that aligns with who they are authentically and then figure out what are the right tools for outreach for them so for somebody it may be instagram for somebody else it may be pr for a third brand it could be awards speaking opportunities somebody may be looking to attract talent so recruitment becomes a you know plays a critical role somebody wants to engage with academia so then we work with colleges and college students for them so our our goals are really there is no standard format or a standard process we essentially work with them and their goals and then identify what are the right tools that one can pick to uh, to communicate their content to their to their target audience the goal is to really reach out to uh, who they want to reach out to because your target audience may be different from mine so that is essentially our standard sort of process uh the next question was how has it changed uh you know in a work from home situation i would actually maybe rephrase the question and i think what i've understood is how did it change sort of post pandemic in a more digital context things changed dramatically so while earlier the industry was pretty much moving one to one uh, there was a lot of physical events physical interaction and everything was in person i think covid and the pandemic really taught i mean forced rather the industry to move uh, online to to move digital and uh, where we came in was uh, to really help in that transition process so brands that had never made a website we did websites for them uh firms that we looked at their digital content we focused on that uh and there were there was enough times when we i mean i think what we were doing originally anyways was looking at social media as a tool to communicate so our clients had already been on linkedin and instagram forever so they all had like sort of a strong presence there i think the pandemic and the work from home situation really made everybody understand that what was an option earlier was was today you know not a choice you just had to be online to to sustain and build a presence for yourself as a brand and it also opened up a lot more avenues for brands because you could reach out to a much larger audience then instead of you know city and region specific goals uh, brands could now have nation or global uh, goals you could reach out and do a lot uh, 
even even if you were a business operating out of a small town in Madhya Pradesh, you could actually reach a much larger audience. So I think that's something that, you know, changed for us as well. So basically, uh, the shift that we've seen in the recent years, like two, three years into from, you know, into the digital world, that has in a way, you know, benefited a lot of people. I mean, that's what uh, you can see in, you know, the transition phase. But obviously, it was a tough time, but this is like a small silver lining on the cloud. But yeah, you can see a digital movement. I mean, uh, so it's it's actually a really good thing. But uh, relating to this, I actually wanted uh, to address an issue. There's this trend in India, you know, that uh, one of the major projects, like the major projects in India, usually, you know, the government projects and, you know, or major any private projects, they're usually taken up by these famed consultancies that, you know, they focus more on the delivery than the actual design process. So, like, you know, if you com- compare consultancies from actual architectural firms, so is it, what in your opinion is actually hindering these architectural firms from, you know, taking up these projects? So I think actually there is nothing that stops a mid-sized studio or a broadly large-sized studio, design studio, that has capability to deliver, let's say, a large institutional project. There's nothing that stops you from getting it. I think there is an inherent problem in the way we have been groomed as professionals, which is to focus on just what we do and work will just, I mean, there is a certain level of, uh, well, I don't know if it's contentment or is it just inertia that, okay, work will just come to us. You know, I get enough work. Why do I need to go and talk about my work and try and get work? So even in college, we are not trained to really fill in RFPs, tender documents, et cetera, et cetera. It's something that is not a part of the five years of architectural education. Whereas for large projects, there is a bid that goes out. There is an RFP that goes out. And whether you're a young studio or a large studio, you need to be equipped to fill that RFP. It's a global phenomenon. You know, uh, internationally, there are teams that, I mean, there is a full team that will prepare for an RFP. Right? Even if it's not a design, pre-design scheme, just how, why should you get the project? What is your unique design strength? What is the capability? How many projects have you done? How much square foot have you built? So that process needs to be a lot more streamlined. And I think the firms, there are enough examples. While I, I mean, I'm, I'll partially agree with you that that does happen. I think there are also enough examples of firms that have completely changed the norm. From doing houses, they are now doing infrastructures, highways, airports, et cetera, et cetera. They obviously got their first project somehow. And it is because they they took that leap and made that, you know, they took that leap and created a process to be able to apply and be eligible for these projects. So that is one part of it, to create documentation that substantiates your credibility and allows you to be at least considered to get the project. The other is there is so, I mean, India as a developing nation, there is so much work out there technically that even stakeholders in are actually looking for the right people. They're looking for landscape architects. They are looking for architects. They're looking for planners. They're looking for people to do good work, but they are unable to find because architects traditionally or urban planners are so used to working in their little studios in their little silos literally living in a bubble i mean we 
there are enough people, and I'm not going to name anybody, but who don't even have a website. Now, what is happening? If in Rajasthan, somebody wants to build a large institute, okay, the first thing, the government body or their office, somebody in their office is going to find architects who do educational institutes in India. Forget even Rajasthan. Half the people will not be eligible because they are not. They don't have any presence online. So stuff like online presence, websites, uh, SEO, the fact that you could be on the first five pages of Google is something that nobody would even think of. I mean, now I think actually in the last three years, it's really changed. Everybody is aware of it. But I remember in, in the first five, six years of Epicel, we would meet firms and we would tell them about SEO. And the first question that would come to us would be, what does SEO mean? They didn't know what search engine optimization was. And then to have a budget for it and spend resources on it. And then to understand that there will be a return on that investment. I think the industry has taken a while to get there. Today, all firms understand that, okay, Instagram is going to help them. LinkedIn is going, I mean, LinkedIn is a professional networking platform. I can tell you that we've got enough projects through LinkedIn. And I, I know enough really large firms who have got projects of housing, uh, airports, infrastructure, toll plazas through LinkedIn, right? Large corporate offices through LinkedIn because you are out there and you are identified as a thought leader in the work, in the domain that you're working in. And, and that's a, I mean, that's a fabulous place to be, right? So there is a lot of room to do instead of, I think if architects generally change their tendency to stop complaining about grapes being sour and instead focus on everything that they could do to really try and get the work that they want to do, I think things would be a lot better. Yeah, totally. Um, sorry? I said, I hope I haven't offended anyone. No, no, definitely not. Because I actually relate to that issue so much since you can actually see, I mean, I've mentioned this so many times, you can actually see the transition in architectural phase going. I mean, you just mentioned how architects are actually staying in their bubble and you can see that. I mean, you can actually see that in real that people are actually not even daring to move forward to any other sort of a specialization. Like they've just chosen one and they're just sticking to it. So, you know, it's like uh, you've seen that, you know, you're seeing that in the past three years as some people who are actually trying out so many different options and there are some who are just, you know, some really talented, may I just say, add on that. They're really talented and just sticking on to one thing. So, you know, uh, if we actually, you know, directly address to this, you know, the issue of designers not considering the importance of marketing. Do you think that should this concept of design marketing be introduced at a university level? You know, should it be considered as a part of the syllabus, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not even marketing. I think more than marketing, it is communication. How do you communicate your work? It's a very, very critical part of education. If an MBA graduate, right, it's a core part of their curriculum. Marketing is a core part of the curriculum. At least we should know the basics. We are not saying that as architects, we need to know everything to do with marketing. I mean, I know, I know nothing about marketing in that sense. But if we were taught at least the fundamentals of marketing and communications, we'd at least have some head start when we set up our practices, when we 
join firms we at least are taught to we should at least be encouraged to write about our work to present our work we are not the focus is so much on i again i i'm probably being blasphemous right now but the focus is so much on getting the right sketch getting the right 3d the right model and if you're god forbid if you're a writer then you're actually discouraged but there is no conversation about presenting your work how does one present their work to an audience are we taught powerpoint and google slides and all of that no i we're not and i can say that because we we get a lot of fresh graduates they don't know how to do this how if how does a fresher architect with one or two years to one or two years of experience go out and pitch for a project it's not something we are trained to do exactly so it's basically like you know um we've been taught exactly the same process that has been in the syllabus for the past i don't know at least 20 years and it's not been revised i guess for a long time so that's actually a major major issue that has to be you know mentioned in this so yeah that was a pretty serious conversation we just had so i'll just you know try to lighten up and i'll ask you some light questions so you've been in the field for a very long time and you've gained a lot of experience i mean 10 years and even you were working before that as well so years of episode, i've been i yeah got more yeah it's been a long yeah so are there you know so now when you look back do you think there's any defining moments in your life i'm saying moments as in plural so that you know you like to reminisce you know yeah i think there were a couple i can say that you know right after i graduated i got this one opportunity to work with a plus d which was india's oldest and sort of most renowned architectural journal uh, as an editorial assistant and uh, I, i thought it was a great opportunity if i hadn't taken it up i may have just moved down regular practice the route of regular practice I and mean, it's not something i wanted to do but it came that opportunity came my way and i took it and it did play a very crucial role in changing my career trajectory because it it at least showed me that i i really did enjoy working with words as much as i enjoyed design and then subsequently i would say uh you know my i think my decision to do a masters outside of india again it allowed me so much exposure and i just saw so much and i looked at newer ways of seeing things newer ways of doing things newer ways of working with text newer ways of using writing as a tool for communication i mean i actually got an opportunity along with my master i did a design masters i did an mark but the opportunity to do a course pick up an elective in academic writing while doing a masters degree in architecture i i i mean it was a great opportunity so uh, again played a very very critical role in, in what i do today and then of course even when i moved back the fact that the firms that i worked for in india allowed me the room to do what i wanted to do you know allowed me to work in the field of marketing communications business development all of this if i hadn't got those opportunities maybe i wouldn't have set up episode you know it's each one of them was a stepping stone for me in that sense yeah because you know uh, these kind of moments we sometimes you know think back and we are like 
what if this had not happened maybe you know life would have been a little different than what it is at the present moment so these moments actually you know the it comes with the experience i mean it's obviously difficult for our people eyes to understand this but experience plays such a major role i mean you come to know that you've learned the skill but it's literally the experience that teaches you so many new things so it's an important thing also i'd like to add i think more than experience because experience you can only get if you choose the opportunity uh i think more importantly finding the right mentors having the right support system is really really important you know i could do i could think of doing whatever i wanted to do i mean i was equally confused i remember when i got this opportunity right after you know my br to pursue this uh, job this role at a plus d i was really confused in in all sort of i think 80% of my mind was like you know i've studied 5 years of architecture am i going to really go ahead and take up a role in journalism even though journalism was one of my career choices when i was a teenager but at that point to find i spoke to a lot of my mentors like my faculty members uh people in my family etc and they all encouraged me to do it if they had not given me that sort of right support i remember like this very very respected faculty member of my i spoke he said what do you lose you lose a year six months maybe at max but try it out it's something you've loved doing you are good at it this allows you to explore your own potential i had those words not been said to me i wouldn't have taken up that role and things would be different so the experience wouldn't have come in if i did not have the mentors it's equally important to have the mentors and to open your life up to the opportunities that are coming your way yeah i totally understand that so i mean we are actually running a little short on time so i'll just um, go a little further uh, this series was basically it's a series of women in design so this is a question that i've been asking to all the people who are coming and uh, i'd like to ask you as well do you think things would have been different matlab do you think as being a woman in the design field in the architectural journey do you think you have to push more than you know being a woman or do you think it's already a situation that is you know equalized and it's a done and dusted situation you think it's actually removed from the architecture i i think firstly this whole man and woman thing i think it's mm. uh sometimes it's overplayed a bit not in the way that this is not unique to architecture as a profession yeah. if this is there in every single profession and as i grow older and I, as i work with more and more people i see that a lot more i also feel that as young people the feminist battle is very different as as you get older and as you deal with other bigger challenges in life it really is it has nothing to do with with gen i mean in one way it has nothing to do with gender you know it's we can't say that the men are not supporting us because to me realistically the women are equally non supported you know as a as a professional as a women professional you become uh, you become a leader you become a mother you you become a parent you become a spouse you there are so many other journeys that one takes on as a woman 
and if your professional journey needs to support all of those journeys and it's vice versa we always talk about work life balance so work and life move hand in hand so if women need to be supported it is not only at work that they need to be supported they also need to be supported at home and the other way round if women are being supported if women are being not being supported at home then the work also needs to support them as co-workers as bosses as clients as as anybody as faculty why is it that women have to um i mean why is it that women have to resort to only i mean i know i'm saying resort only because that's how people come to us for career options that you know i can't practice anymore because my workplace will not allow me the time to uh, you know to leave early or you know to take care of my kids and all of that we need to create an environment at work and at home that is more inclusive it's not about gender anymore we need to make it more inclusive for men we need to make it more inclusive for women more than that i think the real issue is as designers and architects we need to be paid i mean today architecture schools are charging fees that varies from 3 to 5 to 6 lakh rupees a year but when an architecture graduate finishes college they're offered 15000 rupees for an internship or 18000 rupees as a fresher or 20000 rupees at max i think those are challenges that as architects we need to worry about a lot more because we will not have architects anymore forget men man or woman it doesn't matter if we don't make it a meaningful profession if we if we have to create room for entrepreneurs we have to create room for professionals who can work in a team and a collaborative environment how will large practices run so i think well of course i'm sure and i can say honestly that there is a gender issue in the industry like any other industry we all if we start being a little more honest to ourselves and to the profession i think we have a long way to go and we'll do really well but we need to pick up our battles and focus on the right battles i really liked how you explained that out which is currently in this profession there are so many so many more issues like how you've explained the pay factor i mean you can actually see how the market is you know different because there's many different kind of people who are actually opting they've literally destroyed the culture of architecture where they're not getting paid like you'll find people doing that same work for even less amount which actually you know just drops the market down so i can actually understand how there are so many problems within the profession that need to be addressed before you know moving forward with this so really liked how you explained that out and uh, we've had a long interview <laughs> so let's just you know uh, i'll just ask you a very light uh, question so you've lived a very successful career life and you know obviously it's still ongoing and it takes up so much of your time i can understand that so how do you spend your leisure time leisure time and do these habits like you know you know do any kind of habits that you know play a key role in keeping you motivated so this is leisure time on a saturday yeah. evening i'm speaking yeah there is a line between for me my work life balance is it's a very 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 thin line uh i genuinely feel that i genuinely care about what i do so i try and make the time for it and when i'm really exhausted i switch off as well i think sundays have been very very sacred for me 
uh, although once I started episode, I think Sunday evenings I start work again because I want to be better prepared for my Mondays. Uh, but otherwise, I take time. I mean, I I don't know. I I think there is. I don't put a lot of pressure on myself to define roles and silos in my life. And I think that is something that has helped me. I'm, I'm sure it doesn't work for everybody, but it definitely works for me. It doesn't matter if my my son is accompanying me to office on a summer holiday day. It's fine. Uh, he has walked into client meetings as well. If while I'm in the office, it's okay. I have traveled and I've carried my laptop along because that's if I've taken the responsibility of being an entrepreneur, I need to do it. If I... Uh, I mean, there's just, yeah, so I, I take out time, like I do switch off from work a bit earlier in the day. So around 5.30, 6, 6 o'clock, I switch off on a weekday. But then I also get back to work around 8. I spend some time with my kids and then and can I get back because I need to do some writing in quiet time. And, you know, I I try and get, clean up my work before the day ends. So that there's no baggage and pressure that I'm carrying. I, I don't, I wake up early. I'm fairly disciplined in that sense. I'm not a big, I don't like socializing a lot. So I am very happy to use my weekdays for work and use my weekends for leisure time. And I don't expect a lot. I don't watch a lot of TV. There is no Netflix until for me. I think I've said that on so many interviews in the last two years. I do not spend my time. I do like a, I do a little bit of binge watching maybe once in three months or six months, like one day and that's it. I don't, I mean, I think there is only, one should really be honest to how much time they're working hard and then justify it with how much relaxation do they actually need. And uh, yeah, and I, th- I think I'm a, I have a very simple life actually. So it's, you know, it's fairly easy to manage most of this. Some days are really hard, some work days. There are work days when I'm working 12, 16 hours and that's okay. I enjoy it, you know. And then I'll take a day easy if, if need be. So that's how I try and achieve balance. I think, I mean, like you said, it's a very simple life, but I believe that, you know, this kind of a simple life just, you know, I mean, there are a lot of things, uh, you know, in that work-life balance, but the major thing that that simple life keeps us is, you know, it helps us maintain our health, actually. You know? And I'm talking about mental and physical health in both sense. Because, you know, uh, the Saturdays and Sundays are the only time when you can just sit down and just, I mean, sometimes not even do anything. I mean, even that is a very good habit. Because, yeah, you know, you have I, that... I love doing that. I love doing that. Uh, for me, same, yeah. Sunday at home... Yeah, yeah. For me, a Sunday at home is what works really, really well. You know, that yeah. that is what rejuvenates me really even now I feel like you know no going out also rejuvenates me that much as much as a Sunday spent at home doing nothing really clears your mind and everything yeah I agree Uh, yeah because you know even like like you said, even I have that small habit of, you know, start start working from Sunday evening, you know, start doing those small things. You won't have to do them on Monday, like yeah. replying to emails and everything. Just get it done with. So, you know, it's a it's kind of an unhealthy habit though. But yeah, I mean, it whatever works for us, it's okay, fine. Okay, so I'll just, you know, this is the final question so that I don't take up too much of your time. And so the final question, 
due to this digital flood that we've seen in the last three, four years, the architectural youth is more aware of the various opportunities that they can pursue. So is there any advice that you would like to give them related to filtering out their niche and understanding what they're good at? I think the one thing I would say is that make the most of your day. You know, really, if, if you love to write, there is no excuse to not write. If you love to draw, there is no excuse to not draw. If you love to travel, there is no excuse to not travel. You want to go do that master's, go do it, but make the most of it. Whatever you do, give it your 100%. And there is no way that then your sort of hard work will not give you the fruits of labor because you put in your best and the best will happen to you. I'm fairly spiritual like that. You try your best, good things will happen to you. Um, like I said, I've, I never went out even seeking a lot of the opportunities. But I do know that when I would sleep at night, I would be dead tired because I had, I had worked hard. And people recognize hard work more than anything, over and above anything and everything. People do recognize hard work. So uh, be honest. And I, I say that a lot to my team as well. Uh, be honest to your work. Be honest to your life. If you're at home, be honest to your time there. If you're at work, be honest to your time there. Realistically, uh, the nature of our work is such, you do good a good amount of six hours of work and you're good to go. But keep your eyes and ears open to opportunity. You know, if you get to do two things simultaneously, there is no harm in doing it. There is no harm when we are young and we have the energy and the enthusiasm. I'm not saying you do 16-hour days. I'm not encouraging, uh, a, you know, a toxic or, you know, sort of exhausting work, work culture. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying as an individual, figure out who you want to be. What is your brand? What do you? What is it that distinguishes you? What do you stand for as an individual? I think I have, I mean, I think about it. If I didn't have anything, if I didn't have episode, I don't know what else I do because it's the only thing I've ever stood for. It's the only thing that gives me an identity. It's what, it's what I really genuinely care about. Find out what, what is it that you genuinely care about and put your heart and soul into it and you will definitely do well and everything will come your way. Yeah, so, so that's really, you know, I mean, it's really, there's a thing that, you know, you have to manifest things to, you know, actually move towards them. Because just sitting and, you know, expecting, and, you know, sometimes, I mean, not just sitting, I've seen people, you know, do that donkey labor as well, just, you know, working themselves so hard that, I mean, without, a you know, vision, actually. So even that makes a huge difference. And, uh, you know, I mean, we still have a lot of years to go and still to gain a lot of experience. But yeah, it's at least better to have a vision to move on to it. Like you said, this episode was the only thing that you wanted to pursue. So, I mean, you know, having a plan A and not having a backup plan is something that, you know, has a lot of risk, but it is, it is the most uh, motivational thing that you know you can do to for yourself actually. So and it's okay to not have a plan. It's okay to exactly. not even have a plan. It's okay to just spend your time doing what you love because, like I said, for me there was no goal to set up episode. I just it was one project and second project and third project, and I said okay. I mean, great. This is working great. Your plans allow yourself to build a plan as well. Yeah. So we've reached the end of our casual conversation with you, ma'am. And uh, this has happened to be the highlight of my evening. I can, I mean, actually the highlight of my weekend, actually. So that was the end of our 
interview and i really thank you for you know taking our time that to during the weekend and uh, meeting up with us and you know speaking with us this is a lovely conversation that i had with you actually so just there were a lot of interference of course but yeah it was really fun speaking with you ma'am so I won't take much of your time and let's just end end this and uh, thank you so much for having and also thank you for the viewers for watching as well so that's it thank you ma'am thank you so much for having me thank you so much for having me and good luck to you in this series that you've started uh thank you keep it forward and thank you to everybody who listened in thank you thank you so much ma'am okay. have a good day ma'am uh, you too bye bye bye